Hey, Nikki. Hey, Selena. And hello, everyone. And welcome to Sweet Tea and TV, where I've talked for 17 hours, and now I sound like I've smoked 18 packs of cigarettes. It's been a long one today. We are on episode, this is our fifth episode we've recorded today, if you count the extra sugars as all separate. That's right. And we did two of our longest ever episodes. That's right, but y'all don't know that until now. You do now. (laughs) You do now. So I think they deserve to know, Selena. I do, because I think when we don't sound fresh, I feel bad. (laughs) I don't know about you, I always sound fresh. Oh, sorry, not you. Just me. (laughs) Just me. Well, I wanted to start off today by telling you something that I haven't actually had um, like a chance to tell you off mic. So why not tell you on? Oh, exciting. Um, is, is it, it exciting? And I don't know. If it's exciting, but oh. it's something that we've talked about in the past and I finally did it. We talked about watching it. I actually don't know if you've seen it or not, but I got on that Southern charm train. Oh God. <laughs> oh, Selena between the above ground, um, under, under deck, below deck, below deck, <laughs> underground. Uh, upper decker i don't know an upper god i don't want to see that show (laughs) how is it it's good have you ever watched even one episode not okay so i know like at some point we were like just trying to look for southern content and you're like well i get a southern charm and i was like a reality show and this is back when like i don't want to say something as rude as i had standards Because that would be super rude. That's rude. That would be so rude, and I would never say that. Um, But back before I had really gotten on the reality show train. Before you hit the bottom of Netflix. (laughs) Before I ran ran out of other things I ran out of every show. No, it's actually not on Netflix. Um, I'm not giving you the whole skitty on where you can see it. Um, But, like, before I had really gotten sucked in to different reality shows. And realized that they are super entertaining, which is why people keep watching them. They know what they're doing. For sure. Um, Before that, you know, we had talked, like, oh, maybe we could watch this or do this and talk about it. Um, and then, but I think you had said like, maybe you had watched a clip or something and you're like, I don't don't know. (laughs) But I was talking to one of my friends a couple of weekends ago and she was talking about how much she really enjoyed it. And then there's like, so there's three. Did you know this? No. So the original one's in Charleston. Then they've done one in Savannah and New Orleans. And given I'm about to go to New Orleans and I love Savannah and Charleston, I was like, it might be worth watching it just to watch the set piece part of it, you know? Sure. Um, And just to see different cool places in these areas. And so I gave it a shot, and it did take me, like, a little bit to warm up to it, mainly because it's been on eight seasons. (laughs) 2014 is, like, a long time ago. And so it just, uh, honestly, the first season looks old. It's, like, before they were just doing HD with everything. Oh. It's it, so like I feel like I'm watching something from like 2000 at first, but it totally sucked me in. I'm all the way in. So if anybody is interested in watching it, you can find it on Hulu if you have Hulu. Here's why I tuned out of Hulu. I also had to watch the commercials, and I can't do that. Ugh, commercials. So commercial free is on Peacock. Okay, I um, have Peacock. I had to have Peacock for The Office. Oh, they mm-hmm. took the office off Netflix because that's my happy place show for you, like King of Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, anyways, it's uh, it's a goodie. Like a lot of the people who are on the show, this is where I get you know I get weird about talking about real people. Yeah, but you've also put yourself on reality TV, so it's 
sorry. You're kind of in that squishy lane. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it, it, what is really fascinating, I think, outside of the fact that I love Charleston, is just this idea that it's a lot of, it's not all old families, but it's some families that go back to almost the very beginning of like Charleston being established as a city. And that is one old ass city for America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting to see the perspectives of people who come from families that are that old and have that kind of, I guess, notoriety, um, who are that established, like where I, I mean, I come from poor farmers. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's interesting to see that kind of perspective. Obviously, they're making it juicy and gossipy. It's reality TV. Um, but there are a couple of characters. I've just characters. There are a couple of people on the show that I've really warmed to. And um, I, it's just interesting. So I was going to give it a shout out and say for the show that's been on 100 years now. <laughs> but tell you that Little it might plug. be worth checking out. Okay. Um, my friend tells me, because I'm just still on Charleston, in an embarrassingly far down the path kind of way for the amount of time I've seen it. Um, but I am told that Savannah and New Orleans, like Savannah's not nearly as good. New Orleans is like maybe second best. Okay. Um, but Charleston is the best of these. So I started trying to watch the new season of Love is Blind because in terms of reality shows, that one has a little bit of a soft spot for me. And I do this strange thing with reality TV where for one day, I will just blow through the episodes and then I just cannot convince myself to start again. This that's where I am with Love is Blind. Yeah. I, like I love the first Love Strong. I really enjoyed the first season. So different, right? And you just had to know what was going to happen. Yeah, and then in the subsequent seasons like I've just gotten a little less and less interested. It's really hard <laughs> yeah. because you know they're almost a victim of their own success because mm-hmm. you know the things that are happening in the background. Right. So Nick Lachey and Vanessa Lachey have been asked like why are there only attractive people on the show? And they've said some really not so great things some little cringy things oh I don't know about this they've said like um basically Nick said something like only attractive people have the confidence to do this sort of thing which is just like not Mm -hmm. a great answer to that sort of question when you're when your show is in the crosshairs for something controversial that's not a great answer Mm -hmm. it started to make me feel weird uh I've the guy last (laughs) season who like on camera made himself cry so you know there are people now who know enough about the show that they're trying to build a career for themselves or build some sort of narrative the first season I genuinely don't think these people knew what they were walking into so some of their least amazing characteristics about themselves played out on camera beautifully even (laughs) not even to their own like they weren't trying yeah and so I think that was beautiful and wonderful and made for great tv now I watch it wondering how much of this is like played up yeah you know it's interesting i could because okay i mean you can argue that reality tv goes back to real world and in this you know i mean but when it really took off is during the writer strikes yeah. in the early 2000s right that's where we go from having like one over here one over here and they're like a novelty mm-hmm. to just like regular programming mm-hmm. they're cheaper to make they can pay the people who are in them less i mean it's like a whole thing but now I feel like we're in these later stages of reality TV shows. So what's interesting on Southern Charm, when you're talking about, like, you can see people, like, trying to build a career. Mm-hmm. One of the girls on it was on Real World when she was 19. She's our age. Okay. Then there's another girl who was on. She's so young. I don't know why I'm calling. Just a baby. Um, I don't know why I'm calling them girls. There's another woman who's on it. Because we're just girls. 
which I'm just a I'm just a small child basically, just trying to make it this world. Um, she is she was on uh, Survivor, um, okay. like ten years ago, and so it's it's weird or interesting, I guess, to see these individuals kind of cycle through different shows, and then mm-hmm. they're it's how like they meet in these like reality TV circles, they become friends. And then, like, meet up on these other shows. What a strange world. It's a weird, like, incestuous thing. And it just makes it really hard for me to watch. Yeah, it's it's definitely something. But if you just get in one of those moods where you want to blow through something. I might have to start it. Yeah, I think, I don't know. It's it's been an interesting watch. Okay. Um, And I don't know, just also, I think in terms of, like, thinking about the southernness of it. It's interesting to pay attention to the accents, um, the politics almost of the area, um, and how they kind of weave that into the show. It's not very blatant. You would be kind of silly to do that, honestly, because then you would like turn off audiences or whatever, but it is a little bit there in the sauce. And then just like this idea of um, Southern eccentricity. Oh, oh no. Um, and how that plays in. I'm also a little scared being from South Carolina, how that's going to, between that and the, um, Southern lawyer who just got all the attention for murdering his family. Like I just, oh yeah. I don't know, man. It's been a rough go for South Carolina lately. I don't know it's a bad go for them. I tell you, my favorite thing is watching uh, when they do the reunions with Andy Cohen. Oh. I love him so much. Mm. I think he is just so good at his job. Yeah. And to see him kind of go toe-to-toe with some of these people. And, like, like because, you know, people are, like, by the time they get to the reunions, it's just, like, gloves are off. Yeah. They're, like, kind of, like, nuts with each other. And just to see him be, like, I don't know. I think you're being kind of an asshole. It's like just kind of great. Anyway, so all to say it's worth a watch. I will say that there's a lot of infidelity that happens on this show. Well, first up on my list. Speaking of infidelity. Speaking of infidelity. <laughs> I tried. So we are at Designing Women season four. This is episode 14 or is it labeled episode Fifteen. I think they was a two part. I th- I think they. Uh, I think. Have I broken your mind? Anywho, this episode's did. called the Mistress. I'm like <laughs> uh, the IMDb description is the ladies are hired to redesign a house for a man as well as his condo where he keeps his mistress. Air date January eighth, nineteen ninety. We're calling this one rude, lazy, horny, and dumb. It's written by LBT and directed by Iris Dugau, who we haven't seen since The Naked Truth last. Season. General reactions. Let's start there. What you got, Selena? I'm like, my first general reaction is I was trying to look for an episode number. Oh, I'm sorry. I did no, that no, to no. you. No. Um, I, uh, my first general reaction is that I really like this one more on rewatch than initially. Okay. And I think it's because <clears throat> I really like the ones where we get to interact more with the clients and see sugar bakers in the wild. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think you could probably argue that this is like a bottleneck episode, but because you kind of got them trapped all in one place with one of the wives. But yeah. I don't know; it still worked for me. I would also argue that this turns the mistress trope a little bit on its head, um, with the mistress being the one who was a little duped. Typically, I think we see either both women are in the dark and the man has all the power, um, or maybe just like the wife doesn't know. 
And in, in that case, do you think there's a little ambigu- ambiguity in the name of this episode? Does it refer to Louise? Does it refer to Lois? I can't even remember the way her name was pronounced now. Is it Gabby or is it both? Because technically, the wife is someone is with someone too, which would also make her a mistress. If they're married, if the other someone is married, I think. I think in my um, studies for the extra sugar, it's either way. Okay, because we just really hate women. Is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Did you not hear me say at the top, <laughs> Selena, that we've been recording for seven hours? I'm very tired. I cannot answer your questions anymore. It's really more rhetorical anyway. Yeah. What about you? Well, the reason I'm pausing it, I think mm-hmm. my mind just got blown a little bit, is th- my first general reaction was it's been a while since we've had like a twist episode. And this one had like twist on twist. And so I think you just added an extra twist I wasn't prepared for. Oh, my for. bad. Yeah. So there was like the twist of the, um, I hate the word mistress, but the twist of the mm-hmm. mistress not being aware that he was married. Paramore? Sure. But then I think of the band Paramore. Oh, no. But then yeah. the twist of the wife knowing about the woman he was having the affair with, but keeping it a secret because she also was having an affair. It was just twist on twist. And I thought um, anytime they do a twist in that way, I kind of love it. So that was my first general reaction. Mm-hmm. But then I got my brain twisted. Yeah, my bad. Because <laughs> my next general reaction is another one with a twist. <laughs> Couldn't we have just said that? But also, I feel like part of it is like this idea, just this whole setup of how we spend all this time like with sugar bakers getting themselves all in a tizzy, right? Where they're trying to come to this woman's defense. She's so innocent. She's so she's yeah. been so deceived. Um, but she not only knows about the fa- affair, she's having one, and she winds up being pissed at sugar bakers for ruining it for her it's kind of just a reminder that like moral code isn't always black and white to everybody and like what you think isn't always relevant to what other people think and just stay out of it yeah because you never know what happens behind closed doors right it's just none of your business the other general the, the only other general reaction i had is that jean smart didn't even get an episode before she came back to work so on my first watch, I was like, dang, she just had a baby. And in real life, we know Jean Smart just had a baby. Or, But anyway, when I went and looked back into it, this one actually was taped at the end of November. And the previous episode was taped after this one. So I could see. I was just thinking, is it possible that they recorded it them out of order? <laughs> it is. And it they did. <laughs> So there you go. But I was like miffed on her behalf. And I was like, can't they give her any time off? And then I read that and I was like, all right, please get that right. I don't want to upset anyone. (laughs) One guy on the Facebook group. Nikki. (laughs) I need him to know he lives rent free in my brain. (laughs) Uh, So I, I mean... Another kind of general just reaction I had to this one was just Gabby. Oh. Um, you mean Logan Huntsberger's mom? That's right. I was going to I was gonna tee you up, but you took it. So good job. Uh, maybe just really like to put her in unlikable roles, huh? That's yeah. her shtick. Yeah. I think, I think it's her. It's what she plays really well. Yeah. 
I thought she almost looks unlikable to me at this point. Uh, I know it's, it was tough. You know, I, I was like thinking through the things that she did. Like, can you imagine if somebody left you waiting 35 minutes and then told you they, sorry, I was reading. I would be like, all right, I'm leaving. Yeah. I don't think I wouldn't have stayed 30 minutes. She didn't even remember Jeffrey's name. What's wrong with this woman? So sad. She's a sculptress. I'm just going to tell you right now, it doesn't get more pretentious sounding than that, except for all the sculptresses out there. Good job. Yeah, if you call yourself a sculptress. Just, I mean, at least call yourself an artist just or an something. Artist. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then her reaction to Anthony was like, weird. This is a whole, the whole thing. And it was like, I mean, I think they purposely wrote it this way, but like, it just came off like racist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even want to repeat it. It was so weird. Yeah. Um, That's not. What else did you have in general reactions? That's all my generals. I got strays left. Okay. Just the colonels. Um, what? <laughs> like a general and a colonel. Oh. And it's like a K-E-R-N-E-L. Oh, you know where my my mind went? Colonel Sanders, which means I'm starting to get hungry again. Mm. <laughs> got to get those, um, that secret spice and seasoning mix. <laughs> 67 spices or whatever. And I don't like KFC. I'm just going to say that. Well, there goes our opportunity there. Well, you know, I will tell them if they want to know. It's because I had a craving for it after after I delivered my last child. And my husband went and got it. And it was awful. It was not at all what I wanted it to be. And I don't know that it's KFC's fault. It might have been the franchise's fault. Yeah. But we had to throw a bucket of chicken away. It was that bad. It was that bad. And Kyle thought it was bad, too. Oh, yeah. Kyle took one bite. I took two bites. He took one, and we threw it all away. So that was my last experience with KFC. It's not an episode about KFC. I don't know. Well, not if it is now. Um, I mean, I would probably give it another shot this many years later. I don't know. But, yeah. Got Zaxby's. But Chick-fil-A. Publix. I'm having having their fried chicken every day. Anyways, I mean, I'm not. I would love to, though. Okay, so speaking of stray observations, what were yours? Uh, The opening scene when Suzanne was eating rice cakes in the kitchen and Sam Walton came up feels very parallel to episode two this season. Mm -hmm. You're smiling knowingly. Just because rice cakes is also in my strays, but yeah. This time, though, it feels like she regained the power. So last time they were giving her a hard time because she didn't know Sam Walton. Like, she didn't know any of these millionaires. Like, she was sort of the butt of the joke. This time, she regains the power and says, like, it's just that he's from Arkansas. Like, he's not from Atlanta, her town. So she kind of, like, comes out in her, I'm sure in Suzanne's mind, comes out on top on that argument. But it felt it all felt very parallel to that previous one. Well, it's also hard to not think that like any time that there's something about dieting or anything that she also had a hand in it because we've talked now about how she really tried to take her power back this season to be like, I'd rather just get out in front of it mm-hmm. and, and like address it in episodes. Um, but I actually felt that rice cake bit like in my bones. Oh, Um Cranky after 12 hours of dieting, check. Cheating by putting something like jelly on a rice cake, check. Except I'd be like, I'll just put a little chocolate on there, a little peanut butter, a little, <laughs> a little piece of chicken. 600 calorie snack. Yeah. And then annoyed by naturally little people, check. So I feel you. I feel you in that scene. And also rice cakes. What are we pretending with that? I do. I like the caramel ones. Okay. A pretty good bit. Uh, okay. But like a plain rice cake is about the grossest thing in the world. The texture is a little bit like um, a coaster. Yes. What I imagine it will be to be like, mm, I think I'll have a coaster for a snack. Anyways, Stray, 
Any other strays? I have two cut lines I wanted to mention. There was a line cut when Charlene fell asleep while the man, Mr. Pollard, was talking. Uh, I think Julia says you'll have to excuse Charlene. She has a new baby. Um, somebody says we'd wake her, but this is really the only chance she gets to sleep. And then he says, Hey, I understand. I raised four children myself. So that's the first time we hear about like this life that he and his wife have built together. Um, there was another cut line by Suzanne after Julia says it's none of their business, what he does in either house. Julia, I can't believe you're saying this. I thought you'd be all up in arms. Well, I would be up in arms if he were my husband, but he's not my husband. He's my client. Up in arms, Julia. Are you kidding? If Reese Watson ever thought of having a mistress, the very least you would do is blow up his car and burn his apartment to the ground. And I feel like we kind of got like a a, a nice reminder of how over the top Julia can be in things mm-hmm. and also how Suzanne did not believe she was going to be able to stay out of all this. I thought you were going to say we got like a, a preview to waiting to exhale oh. years in advance. I don't know if you remember, it's in an Angela Bassett. She sets the car on fire out front and like walks away from it like a boss. It's not a reference I think about. <laughs> I just thought about Except it for the first the time Whitney right Houston now. Song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have any more strays? <laughs> I don't think I could take it any more straight than that. I can. So you already mentioned recognizable guest star. Leanne Hunley, who played Gabby, who was also in Dynasty, the Beverly Hillbillies movie, which I just have to acknowledge this is the second time that's come up for me recently. Uh, And then, of course, she played Shira Huntsberger, who is like peak villain on Gilmore Girls. Patricia Wilson played Mrs. Philpot, Olivia's nanny. Mm -hmm. A quick scan of her IMDb tells me she was also in The Nutty Professor and A League of Their Own, which we just talked about offline earlier. She plays the older version of Marla Hooch. Okay, I can see that, sure. But to be totally transparent with you, the only reason I brought that up is because Mrs. Philpott's storyline has to do with Unsolved Mysteries, and I want to talk about Unsolved Mysteries. Can I I sidebar? Please. It's a sidebar. Nikki. Sidebar, she's got a keyboard looking for a reward by digging deep in the obscure, taking us on a detour. What you got? Nikki. Nikki. Sidebar. That music gets you every time, doesn't it? It really does. It also sounds like me on social media videos when I screw something up and I go back and I try and record (laughs) something, except yours is meant to be funny and me, I'm just trying really hard to drop new stuff in and I'm like, dang it. Oh, that sucks. Well, you know, when we were pre-watching this season, the Unsolved Mysteries reference stuck out. I think we went back and forth on like, should it be an extra sugar? Should it be? It needed to be something. Um, And I think, I'm thinking Nikki Sidebar is the perfect length for it. Um, I just couldn't miss an opportunity to talk about it because I say the word unsolved mysteries and all I hear in my head is that theme song. I just didn't want to get in trouble. What if I went, yeah, exactly. Bad boys, bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> what you gonna do? I grew up on repeats of unsolved mysteries on it Lifetime. It scared me. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, <clears throat> go ahead. Probably because you were home alone, right? Yeah, usually. I had siblings at home with me. My sister and I would watch it together. Thanks for the past. Go so, on. yeah. I, it's kind of, it can be a very scary show. I will acknowledge that. And there were. Yeah, I got scared of disappearing. <laughs> there were people. Well, actually, it was the supernatural stuff that I had to skip forward sometimes. Although some of those were my favorite plot lines as well. Anyway, for anyone who doesn't know, Unsolved Mysteries is a documentary style TV show following it. Following? You guessed it. Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it'd be like crimes, other mysteries of life. Um, like I said, for me, some of the very best episodes, but also very most terrifying were the supernatural ones. So it was created by John Cosgrove and Terry Dunn Muir. I looked this up and I didn't write down the pronunciation, but I think it's Muir. Um, it started out as a special series of just seven episodes in 1987. Uh, that special series featured three different hosts. Raymond Burr, who played Perry Mason. Carl Malden, who was a classic Hollywood actor having appeared in A Streetcar Named Desire, and Robert Stack, who had been in the late 50s, early 60s TV show The Untouchables, and then the silly comedy Airplane in like 1980. Lots of other things in their bios, but those were hot points. By 1988, just two years before this Designing Women episode aired, it became a full series hosted solely by Stack. It aired on NBC for nine seasons, then moved to CBS for two seasons, its 10th and 11th before it was canceled, ending in 1999. Um, I didn't realize it was picked up after that by Lifetime in 2000 and aired there until 2002, until just before Robert Stack's death in 2003. The show was revived once in the late uh aughts by spike tv but i read i had that just written it, it was uh revived and then i ended and then the more research i did i found out that that revival was just like repackaging of old content which led to a lot of confusion because they actually repackaged old episodes that had actually been solved oh so i didn't thought... note it in any way Oops. like short-sightedness yeah that, yeah um, no review boards or anything? No, I'm so weird. Okay. It did receive a six-episode restart in 2020 mm. on Netflix. Full mm. disclosure, shockingly, I haven't watched it. I really need to, but I haven't watched it yet, so I feel like I need to say that. On that show, I learned about journalist Keely Shea Smith, who worked on the show for a few seasons as a special reporter. I learned about her there rather than from another notable role in her life, Pierce Brosnan's wife. Oh, Okay. Um, I read Matthew McConaughey was on a 1991 episode, which was filmed in Texas, his hometown. It's one of his first ever appearances in entertainment. Mm -hmm. uh, Cheryl Hines of Curb Your Enthusiasm was on an episode. And Taryn Killam from SNL was on an episode. Mm -hmm. He is Robert Stack's great, great nephew. Oh. Just one great, great nephew. Mm -hmm. Uh so today there's like no shortage of crime type content in entertainment. It's really prolific in the podcast genre for sure. But it wasn't a, like in a genre of its own in the late 80s. Um, it was really the only sort of show of this kind. And it really differed from news prob uh, programs for a couple of reasons. One, it did dramatizations. That's really what Unsolved Mysteries is known for. They do these like right. reenactments. Um, in fact, NBC News disavowed the program early in its run because it featured supernatural events and they forced them to add content noting that it wasn't a news broadcast. I remember that from watching it. The what you're about to see is not news it's something it's their dramatizations have been added or something mm -hmm. that's why um, and then at the end of segments they'd encourage viewers to call or write in if they had information to share which is audience participation that obviously news programs don't invite like miss philpot like miss philpot so she says suzanne was just doing her duty that's right so over the years, they covered a lot of different types of mysteries, from murder mysteries to, like I said, paranormal mysteries. I wanted to share three mysteries from the show uh, that they are credited with helping to solve. Okay. So number one came from a season six episode. So that was about May 1994, focusing on a man named Craig Williamson. He had gone missing just the year before in 1993 while on a business trip. 
it's a it's a little loopy, but is for whatever reason his wife was sure he was still alive. She had some evidence that made her think that. But she had a theory he was suffering from amnesia. Shockingly, in July 1995, a year after it aired, Craig saw himself on a rerun of the episode and recognized himself. As it turns out, he claimed he had been beaten, but he didn't remember anything else, not even his wife. So he returned home. Uh, I read that he and his wife reconciled, but then split up ultimately. Investigators remain really dubious about his story. And I looked into it one more time this morning because I felt like I needed to close the loop on it. Uh, He had just started a business with his wife and they had taken out a large loan. And so investigators believed that he had stolen away because he was trying to escape from his life. The part that's hard for me to reconcile with that is why come back? Um, and yeah. I read in like a couple of internet forums this morning, people's theor- people theorize he came back because he felt like he owed his wife some closure. And he just like did some self-reflection and realized he was being kind of a jerk. And he came back. I don't huh. know. Either way, the show helped solve it. Right. Danny and Kathy Freeman were an Oklahoma family who lost their home in 1999 to a fire. Kathy's body was found inside, but her husband, daughter, and daughter's friend were all missing. Even more strange, when they pulled Kathy from the home, they realized she hadn't died in the fire. She had been shot. Initially, investigators believed Danny, her husband, had done it. But when the daughter's friend's family, so her friend was missing as well, when her family visited the rubble the next day, they were trying to look for clues. They found Danny's body. He also had been shot. After many years of investigating, including the feature on Unsolved Mysteries about the crime, in 2018, so this happened in 1999, in 2018, an arrest was finally made. However, unfortunately, the girls' bodies were never recovered. Jeez. And then the last one I was going to mention, this one is kind of gives me chills a little bit. It's a season three episode featuring the story of Patricia Stallings. She had been put in jail while pregnant after being accused of poisoning her other child, Ryan, with antifreeze. Uh, her, when she was pregnant, she gave birth in jail. Um, and that baby was placed in foster care because she was in jail for having killed her other kid. Um, that child was ultimately diagnosed with a genetic condition called methylmalonic academia, which can produce the same symptoms as antifreeze poisoning. The judge in the trial wouldn't accept medical testimony. So Patty's lawyer couldn't argue that her son, Ryan, the other child had died of that condition. She was placed in prison for life. However, after the episode aired, doctors across the country called in to support her argument, and a test was finally performed, which confirmed Ryan had died from that disease. Patty was released and reunited with her son. Oh, my God. Wild, right? I read a little bit more, and it's a little hazy now because it's been a while since I read it. But I think, unfortunately, (laughs) that um, the living son ultimately died of the disease. Um, and Patty and her husband, I think, divorced as well. So it really, like, did a number on their family. That's terrible. Yeah. So I'm going to link to more information in the show notes, both about Unsolved Mysteries, where I pulled these stories from, um, and a couple, I think I, maybe one more reference if, if any other armchair detectives want to do their own work. But um, stealing your transition, Selena. I liked Unsolved Mysteries. Do you want to talk about other things we liked? That sounds great. <laughs> um, I just saw Charlene falling asleep at her desk because she's sleep deprived from baby Olivia. Like, I don't know. It's just, she just did, it's Jean Smart. I don't know. She's just good. Um, how everyone reacts and her like 
trying to drag out the whole, and it just gets worse. It gets more and more awkward. I saw myself also in that, like, except it was charming when she did it. How bad was it? Yeah, and when I when I do it, like, it's not charming when I try and make something better that's just getting increasingly worse, but it works for her. And then I thought I was going to... Well, that's just, it sounds bad. Whatever. I thought I was going to crap myself when Gabby says she wants to do an all-white room, of which she describes as taking a lot of courage, to which Mary Jo replies, well, I don't think that oh, it God. takes all that much courage. I mean, not when you compare it to, for example, getting your brains blown out in Vietnam. And I just... <laughs> I like lost it. That is such an important comparison frame. That was very visceral, but yeah. Generally in life speaking, that's a good comparison frame. You just need to like always bring it back to that, baby. (laughs) I'm like, oh, well, that's a very good point. Thank you. That's, that is is more courage. Thank you. What about, what else, what did you like? I don't have that much to say about this episode. Um, What I will say is, is kind of doubling down on something I said a minute ago, which is I love a good twist episode and- Mm -hmm. Uh, the first time I watched this, I had such a laugh out loud about Mrs. Pollard's breakdown over the end of her special arrangement. It is so over the top and soap opera-y when she's like, I knew, I knew, I knew. It was just so extra and delivered so beautifully. It lost a little punch the second time I watched it, but not that much. It was really funny. Suzanne going, well, I think she knew. <laughs> Speaking of Suzanne, I think that was my other like, is that, you know, I don't, the the one Suzanne I haven't liked in recent seasons is, or in this season is the, excuse me, Suzanne. Yeah. It's like a little much. Yeah. But this one, dry wit Suzanne, um, like, uh, I know what I'm talking about, broad Suzanne, yeah. you know, I like that a lot. She knew, like, what was happening the whole time. And she was trying to warn them. She was trying to get them. Like, it it was, she knew they were going to, they were going to get too far in on this one. I, th- I think that's right. What uh, about <laughs> things you didn't like? Yeah. <laughs> I have none. None. So, you didn't think that little bit at the end with Julia calling Reese felt disjointed or tacked on or dumb? No, I think you're right. Um, I did, I don't think it stood. I don't think it stood out to me. Hmm. Well, so initially I had something in here. I'm just going to tell on myself that said I liked that when he called her sassy. I love that. I yeah. really do like that. That's sweet. I think it's because I hear them in real life. Mm, I think okay. we've talked before about how on the show we're eh, about their relationship, but off screen, I truly believe that those two were made for each other Mm -hmm. and I think they were very in love and it seems like they had a really good relationship so Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times it's confusing for me um but uh yeah I just did she need the comfort Mm -hmm. um that I guess that that is a little unclear what I will say is that cut line where they talk about what she would do if she found out Reese had a mistress maybe if I had seen that on screen that would have made me feel differently because it really is kind of I should say that carefully because I don't have the whole script memorized, but I don't have a clear memory of us talking about Reese otherwise. Mm. He wasn't part of this episode. Mm-hmm. It wasn't relevant. He hasn't really been mentioned a lot. At all. Yeah. yeah. Al's so been busy. It's really challenging in that case to mm. remember how close their relationship is and to remember why I should care that she 
worries about him having a mistress, if that makes sense. And he did. We did have that episode where she was a little worried he had one. So, exactly. And I think if you, that's a good point. If you think about that and the insecurities that she had then, maybe coupled with this, it could be a little bit of a callback, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, I think that's fair. That was the only thing that I had kind of as a... And that's a light criticism because, again, I'm acknowledging that if I had seen the whole episode uncut, maybe it would have struck me differently. But I also think not having seen Reese in a while, it's just really hard to hold in my brain that they have this such a close relationship that she needed to reaffirm herself of their relationship after going through this experience. It probably would have played better with someone like Bill or, um, Mm. you know, someone that we've seen Charlene really close with. Well, so. um, you know, and I was I was going to ask you real quickly before, because look, I'd like to move on and we'll rate this one. But I wanted to ask you, um, would you so do, do you classify this in that category of designing women episodes of like absurd episodes? Oh, um, no. OK, no, not quite. But now that you've asked the question, I'm wondering if I should. When I think of absurd, I think of like the cat. Uh huh. Yeah. For some reason, though, like I didn't initially, but then I was starting to think maybe this one could fall into that kind of like surreal, like whatever, you know, um, which I typically am on record as those are not my favorite episodes. But I really like this one, which made me feel like maybe I was if it if we did classify that way, maybe they're bringing me around. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I think you're probably right. I think it falls. It it might actually fall in the same realm as like the cat episode and like these um, you call them like uh, the circular episodes that don't. What did you just call that bottleneck that don't really move the plot along? They don't really tell us much else about the characters, but they're just darn entertaining. And what I will say about this one getting this gets into my rating, but it's a nice palate cleanser after that last kind of emotionally heavy, reflective episode we talked about. Ooh, I'm saying. Yeah. As you know, I cried a lot. I know. I'm so this you, should have been a real release for you. Between that and Still Magnolias, I'm very dry. I was going to tell you, you look a little puffy. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Whatever a woman likes to hear. It's not true. Um, so what, what was your rating scale for this one? Jelly covered rice cakes. Okay, fair enough. And what, how many jelly covered rice cakes? Don't make me say that three times fast. I'm trying to decide if I'm changing my rating now. I think I'm going to stick with it. A four out of five. Like okay. I said, it was a nice palate cleanser. We had a super long, um, kind of emotionally charged, kind of super reflective episode, last episode. So this one didn't, like we just said, didn't move much along in terms of the plot, didn't tell us much more about our characters, but it was just a nice, fun, snippy episode, which I like. Yeah, I agree. I also gave it four out of five. Um, wouldn't that be funny if we had the exact that same That would be one? hilarious. Um, I gave it four out of five courageous all-white rooms. So <laughs> I'm marking it this high because I had zero dislikes. Yeah. So I feel like it would be weird for me to be like, two. Yeah. Um, but you. also, when I think about it in concert with some of my favorite episodes, I don't think it's as good as those. And that's why I'm not marking it as a five. But I do think it's super solid. On to our next category of 90s or other dated references. Anything come up for you? I have a handful. I have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cereal. These were a real thing from 89 to 92. They were made by Ralston Purina. 
Mm-hmm. As it a, sounds like cat food. It was a, it's kind of like Chex with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle themed marshmallows. marshmallows. Of course, it's always marshmallows. And it featured different inbox premiums during its production run. So like toys and stuff, which we don't do anymore, just for the record. Oh, really? No, no. I don't buy a lot of like the, this sort of cereal because I think novelty cereal is way full of sugar and your kids, like they just don't need that all the time. But occasionally we have bought it and there are not toys really in there ever. I think actually, I'm going to go off script here, but I think there's probably something to that. Like it's illegal now because it was an incentive to get these kids to buy really sugary cereal. Um, Like that thing we talked about one time about how certain commercials were outlawed during Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah, until they weren't. I think it's the same thing. Right. Uh, I also had dieting on rice cakes. That was a very of the time thing. Yep. That baby carrier car seat thing Charlene brought Olivia in? <laughs> Mine says that ancient looking car seat. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't look very safe. Uh, it probably wasn't. <laughs> I guess we're just lucky she's in one. Right. Charlene's not carrying it. It was like the middle era, like before they just strapped kids to the top. Then they started trying. <laughs> kind of. Uh, Charlene referencing a movie in which Victoria Principal played a mistress. So generally speaking, Victoria Principal is well known for playing Pam Ewing on Dallas. But according to her Wikipedia, she won her first film role as Marie Elena, a Mexican mistress in John Huston's The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean in 1972 opposite Paul Newman, for which she earned a Golden Globe nomination as Most Promising Newcomer. Oh, okay. I also looked up a little bit about her, Mm. but well, she has played a mistress. She was in Lifetime movies, right? I think, so, I think, uh, <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, uh she? See, I, it's funny that you say that. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Let's just rip off the Band-Aid. So, I was like, what mistress movies? I'm just curious. Was it really like a hundred? Because she, she gets a mention, um, you did say Victoria Principal, right? Yeah. Because also Lindsay Wagner. Oh, okay. They mention her too. And they're just like, they're always mistresses or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. know. So I just started to look back in their um, TV history to see, like, or their filmography to see. What are we talking about here? So for Victoria Principal, I found mi- Mistress. So it's a 1987 they, TV yeah, movie? Yeah, they didn't try real hard on that one. And then Lindsay Wagner, I found Passions. And it's funny that you say that about being Lifetime because that's exact. I forgot about this whole genre of TV movies that used to be like a thing. And it was like all these Danielle Still novels that were made into movies. They played on a loop on Lifetime. I watched them all. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and they always had like, um, they were always like these family dramas, but they starred like uh, big TV stars from like a decade prior. And that's how I learned about them. Right. Or like, that's how I think um, about the dad from like Step by Step. Like, oh, he, Patrick Duffy. Yeah. Who yeah. was also in, it was Dallas. Yeah. Dallas. Thank mm-hmm. you. So like he's on all of these. You're right. And, and like you, and it'd be like stepdad. Yeah. <laughs> Or um, dad while mom's gone. Mom while dad's gone. <laughs> like all I've this kind of stuff. Yeah. I ha- and like my grandma, for some reason, would have them on VHS. And you just like, there just wasn't enough stuff. So I'd pop one in and watch them because we're like, why what not? What are you going to do? What? <laughs> nothing. I'm an only child. I have nothing going on. I wasn't playing football. Summer was different back then, wasn't it? It, it must have been. So anyways, that really got me thinking about that whole time period that is like, of a time before. And that's nice because dated references. <laughs> Am I right? You're right. Southern things? 
Uh, okay, so we got another Sam Walton reference. And then my last Southern reference. Okay, good, because I have zero. I'm bringing it in because you brought this up previously. Okay. Green okay. Acres. I really wasn't going to say much more about this one. Right. Because uh, we talked about it. Because we've talked about it. But right. we referenced it. And I wanted to remind people that it ran from September 15th, 1965 to April 27th, 1971. It was canceled in 1971 as part of the Rural Purge by right. CBS, which we've talked about here before. That's right. So see, I do listen. I just forget something. Right. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, but mine are We're much more public. We're middle-aged. Mine are much more public. That's true. Um, so I didn't have any Southern things. Do we want to go on to references that we need to talk about? I have two. Uh, La Leche is actually La Leche, which is actually La Leche League International, which is a nonprofit founded in 1956 uh, that aims to improve breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like a super cursory Google to see if there was a reason they were talking about it in this episode. Other, I mean, obviously other than Charlene being recently postpartum Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't find anything especially relevant happening in or around the organization during this time no but they sound like a cool organization they are cool except Um, they're not is what you're about to tell me no Uh, I'm gonna say that the breastfeeding culture can be very toxic for a postpartum mother in the Uh, same way in the other way yes and so that's my where's the middle ground man the middle ground is everyone, similar to what I said about drugs in a, uh, drugs during delivery in episode 13. And just drugs, go which on. Which is just let parents, especially moms, do their thing and yeah. be a mom and make good choices so for their children. So you're saying sometimes it's a little hard the other way. It, uh, so La Leche pushes really hard to improve breastfeeding, which I think is beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. I delivered both times at a, uh, it's designated as a breast fr- breastfeeding friendly hospital, which means they go like above and beyond in terms of improving breastfeeding. Um, I had a lot of issues with it. And I can tell you that with my first, I was in the hospital in tears with a lactation consultant shoving my child against me while my nipples were bleeding. And I I was crying. I am telling you, I have heard more horror stories like that Mm -hmm. than I've heard like, and then they latched and the rainbows broke through the clouds. And not to say, I mean, I'm not trying to take away from the beauty. I'm just trying to say like, I have talked to multiple mothers who went through the highest levels of anxiety and then got to subsequently feel like crap about themselves. And that is really not fair. I can't remember if I've talked about this before, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I think it's important for people to hear that, um, like I said, uh, in episode 13 with my daughter, I had a really traumatic birthing experience and then the breastfeeding experience was terrible. Um, and I was a first time parent, uh, all of that needs to be factored in, but I spent the first three weeks of her life taking her back and forth to the pediatrician, getting her weighed, um, almost every day where she was consistently losing weight because breastfeeding wasn't working. I was to the point where I was filtering borrowed breast milk. I had someone donate breast milk to me. I was filtering it through a tube to a, a little shield on my breast having her drink that, trying to get the latch to work to the point where finally we went to her pediatrician who was an older man. I had not had the best experiences with him because he was, he's been pediatrician, pediatrician since the like sixties. And he would talk to my husband. He wouldn't talk to me. And one day he finally looked at me and he said, mom, you're not doing anything wrong. He said, but I have to tell you, the definition of crazy is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Something's not working. It's not your fault. 
but you need to make a good decision for your baby right now. And we switched to formula and I never regretted it. I didn't even try breastfeeding with my son. I, at the hospital, I told him flat out, leave me alone. And so I think that Charlene's storyline, so much of these early days are resonating with me because they're making me feel really sensitive about things that are just sort of accepted for new moms and really aren't super fair. Yeah. I, well, I think that makes sense. No, I'm triggered. <laughs> no, I get that. I mean, I don't get it, but I get it, if yeah. that makes sense. I think um, what I just thought was cool about this is, like, the fact that this organization had a big hand in, um, like, some other things that around the birthing process, uh, like being an early advocate for um, natural birth. Again, like, just getting uh, – all the options on just the letting people have options i think yeah. is fantastic not like making it be hard way one way or the other it makes me a, now that you've said this other thing it makes me a little that maybe they're i don't want no one should be making anyone feel guilty to be clear i'm not putting that on laleche sure but i'm sure they were part of that culture shift yeah i know they were because yeah. there were laleche resources sent to me while i was trying to breastfeed sure so um, and then the other thing that I thought was really cool was like this idea. They did want to get dads in the delivery room. And I'm just saying, if you're part of the process, get your little butt on in there. Um, and uh, that bonding that you were talking about skin before, to skin, mm -hmm, yeah. they were big advocates for that too. And I just thought that was really cool. Um, it is cool. I really liked that. And I, when I delivered, because it was a breastfeeding friendly hospital, a lot of that was just built into the process. And mm -hmm. it was, it was really beautiful. It right. was wonderful. I think exactly what you're saying is the short, shortest version of what I'm trying to say, which is just give moms the option. And then depending on what option they take, don't make them feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. Just empower them and tell them they're doing a good job because chances are good. They really are. Yeah. We're all just trying to keep this kid alive. Yeah, for sure. My other reference I wanted to talk about briefly is also related to Steel Magnolias. It's slightly out of order. Um, Charlene said, I'm sure most men would give their eye teeth to look through that window. Um, and in Steel Magnolias, uh, Clarice says, most people in Chickapin Paris would Parish would give their eye teeth to take a whack of Weezer. Mm. Uh, context tells you it means they like it very much. Uh, in reality, it's the canine tooth in the upper jaw. Clinically, they're called the cuspids, but they call it the eye teeth because they're like right near your eyes. I'm going to have to sit with that one for a little bit, I think. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. Mm. I was going to buy taking those. I thought about putting it in Southern references, but I couldn't verify that it was Southern. Uh -huh. So I put it in references to talk about. That's crazy. Okay. Um, what else you got? Let's see. I had just this idea of country French and the neoclassic references. Yeah, there was, that was Are a lot. Are you one or the other? I feel like I, I can almost assure you I'm not neoclassic. If that's like modern and minimal, that's just not my style. It's very uh, timeless style inspired by antiquity. Think Greek and Roman columns, that kind that of thing. Sounds uh, it sounds so Gabby, am I right? Um, <laughs> so classic. I, I I do venture towards the country French, although like um, that sounds kitschy to me. It does, but it's really not when okay. you look at it. So it's like the rustic armoire that Chip and Joanna farm that their farmhouse trend sits in, but it's like literally inspired by the French countryside. It's like where rustic meets refined. Mm -hmm. um, so I think kind of like. Um, I mean, literally, like, little French country houses. Um, yeah. So kind of like exposed brick and, like, just 
like you see the imperfections in the house, but they like make it warm and comfortable. So I, pro- if I had to pick between the two, I would definitely pick country French. To be clear, I am nothing. My aunt asked me one time after we bought our first house, like, what's your style? And I was like, things I like. I don't know that it all sounds very uh, pretentious to me. So. I just think like, don't lock yourself into one. Look. That may be true too. So, uh, Alyssa, Patreon of the show, and I often will talk about that in, like, decorating style. Like, mm-hmm. when you lock yourself into one look, it just, like, some stuff dies so hard, you don't really want to do that. And then you get stuck with checkerboard tile or something. Something, yeah. you know, and it's just better to, like, mix and match and bring in different fills and textures and exactly what you're saying. Like, just love it. But it's a decorating show, so I figured I should bring up these decorating Smart. styles that got brought up um but i did think it was also kind of um uh like like fun that they put them in these two different like this is my wife this is my girlfriend and they have two different styles um and then george bush his thousand points of light theme comes up i'm not gonna go all into the details of that except for just to say like this was referring to volunteerism, likening volunteers, organizations, and clubs to points of light, um, which, uh, honestly, it seems like it was a little satirized at the time. But I actually think, like, where people were, like, poking fun at him a little bit for it. But I I think that's actually kind of a beautiful sentiment. And it does have a Southern connection um, because, so it goes on to be, like, an organization after his presidency, and then today it exists as Points of Light, and it merged with the Atlanta-based Hands-On Network in 2007. And so it's headquartered here in Atlanta, but also Washington and New York. So, And they just they do volunteer work. <laughs> so, um, and I think that's the last one I have. All right. Next episode, season four, episode 15 or 16. It's called The Fur Flies. I do think... I do think it's 15. I think it's just this is our 15th episode. Okay. Because we pulled out Still Magnolias and did its own. Okay. So yeah. next episode will be episode 15, The Fur Flies. Of Designing Of Designing Women. Yeah. Oh, we've just confused. Yeah, we sure have. We'd love everyone to follow along with us and engage. Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. TikTok at Sweet Tea TV Pod. Our email address is SweetTeaTVPod at gmail.com. And our website is www.SweetTeaTV.com. There are also several ways to support the show. You can tell your family and friends about us, rate or review the podcast wherever you listen, and then you can visit our website to find additional ways to support the show. And as Selena reminded us in the last main episode, we also are posting on YouTube now. So that's another way to catch the show. It's happening. It's happening. So come back Thursday for Extra Sugar, where we're going to talk about the evolution of fidelity, its inverse, and the dreaded M word. Oh, boy. You know, simple stuff. (laughs) All right. Well, you know what that means. What does it mean, Selena? It means we'll see you around the bend. Bye.